Good morning, all. <laughs> My name is Tolu, um, and we're going to be reading from Psalm 145, verses 1 to 9. So if you have your Bibles, please open and read along. Um, this is a psalm of praise of David. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the powers, the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, let us pray uh, together. Um, Heavenly Father, we worship you. Um, you're the great and awesome God. Uh, you're gracious, you're compassionate, slow to anger, um, rich in love. Lord, you're good to all. Um, you have compassion on all you've made. And so we praise you, we extol your name, God. We give you glory, God, um, for you deserve that and even more. Um, all praise and all adoration um, be unto your name. And so we just lift you up this morning. We pray that you'll be magnified, Lord, above all everything, Lord, um, every living thing, every situation, Lord, every, um, every uh, challenge or troubles we are facing today, God, you're greater than everything. And so may you be magnified in our lives today, God. Let everything become small and you'll be big be magnified because you're God. And so we come before you knowing that, Lord, we're, we're sinful, we're, we're sinners, Lord, we um, fall short. Um, we ask that you forgive us, Lord, we've sinned against you, God, in our actions, in our words, in our deeds. Um, forgive us, Lord, um, and we pray that your spirit would just dwell in us, Lord, and just fill us anew afresh um, with your power. Um, we thank you, God, that you're moving in this place today. We thank you, God, for um, this, this, this morning, the opportunity to worship you, Lord, and know that not everyone has that opportunity, and so we're grateful, God, for um, just the ability to be in this space, um, in this time. Uh, we thank you, God, for um, Pastor Robert, who will be preaching, pray your words will flow through him, God. Um, you speak your words, O oh God. May we uh, be receptive uh, to hear what your Spirit is saying to us. Um, and may your words not just be something we hear, but also do, God. Um, may we be doers and not hearers only, God. And thank you for even the, the children's ministry and, and those who are teaching them right now. We pray just that you empower them, that they will also hear your word. They'll be transformed. Um, and Lord, may we not live this place the same way we came in, Lord. May we be changed by you, God. May our hearts, O oh God, be softened, Lord, by your word. Um, uh, then, and there will be um, just light in this dark world, Lord, around us. And we pray that we'll be able to be a blessing in our neighborhoods, in our communities, um, in our places of work, in this church. Um, we know that you are in charge and in control, and so we worship you today. We give you glory, God. Um, so, yes, thank you, Father, for everything. Um, we worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. morning. Welcome to Mercy House. My name is Robert. I'm a lead pastor 
here for a few more weeks. And uh, it's been, I think, timely that we've been going through this Generation Next uh, sermon series. When I was sort of praying through, thinking through this series, I wasn't thinking this was going to be my last series. But um, it's definitely, I think, appropriate for us to look back uh, in some ways on the last 22 years of next-gen sort of ministry and then looking forward uh, as God seems to have built this place uh, for that kind of ministry, both for children's but also for the college students that will come through here uh, in a couple of weeks. And so we've, we've, we've walked through lots of different passages, both in the Old Testament and the New. Uh, we started off in Psalm 78 talking about the need for God's people to pass on sort of a legacy of faith to the next generation. Um, that from the beginning, from Genesis 1 and 2, God was wanting human beings to multiply, that there would be many, many image bearers uh, reflecting the glory uh, of God, and uh, that that would come about by having lots of babies and raising those babies uh, to love and to worship God, and that this raising of these babies to love and worship God uh, was to happen in the family, both the family of, of uh, mom and dad and kids, but also the family of the church, that there'd be an intersection between healthy families and healthy church family, and that this would be the catalyst, the place, the environment where disciples of, for the next generation would be raised up, generation after generation after generation. And it's one thing to do that for a year or a decade or even a lifetime, but how do you do that for generations? I mean, this is, this is what we've been seeing in the Scripture, both old and new, that God's uh, vision for the, the people of God is that they're passing on uh, the faith, the gospel, from one generation to the next. That's a little bit like trying to get a rocket ship, you know, into space. Uh, Sir Richard Branson, uh, you know, he starts his company 17 years ago. He spends a billion dollars trying to build a little rocket that can, you know, shoot up into the, quote, edge of space for 17 whole minutes. And this is what it sometimes feels like in regard to church life and church mission. We look at the Scriptures and the vision that we see there, and it feels like we're, we're being asked to go way beyond the stratosphere, and we think, how can we do that even for 17 minutes much less generation after generation after generation. And I actually think Psalm 145 tells us how to do it. King David writes this, this psalm, and it is one of the 73 psalms that David writes out of the uh, total 150. Um, it's the last of his psalms that are in the book of Psalms. It's a sort of culmination of sorts. It sets up the final five psalms, which are the hallelujah psalms. Those last five begin and end with hallelujah, meaning praise the Lord. And this psalm and all the psalms really before it are building and building and building into this point of just unadulterated praise of the one true God. And so this this. The first nine verses here, I think they give us a really clear indicator of how it is that you pass the faith on one generation after generation after generation 
after generation. I want us to start by looking at verse 5, because this is David telling us what he's doing. So that's kind of nice when the writer is saying, this is what I'm doing. And in a lot of ways, this is what all of Psalms is doing. Psalm 145.5, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. This is what he's doing. And this is what the book of Psalms is doing. It's meditating. Now, this is not like Eastern meditation. There's a lot of Eastern-style meditation here in our Happy Valley. Eastern-style meditation is more of an emptying of yourself, a sort of losing of your individuality and sort of melting into the universe. That's not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is the opposite of emptying yourself. It's actually filling yourself, filling yourself with God's Word. The very first psalm speaks of this. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And so David is telling us in this verse 5 of Psalm 145, he says, I'm, I'm meditating. Now, what's he meditating on? A couple of things that he mentions in verse 5, at least. He's meditating on the majesty of God. The majesty of God. We've just been singing about the majesty of God. Now, we don't use that word all that often, I don't think, in our just common everyday language. But I think most of us, we would think about perhaps the Queen of England, right? Your majesty. And what is that communicating? It's, it's communicating her position, that her position is high. It is above all of other, other human positions in the UK. Um, and so there's something like that here, where we're saying to God, you are high, you are above everything. We, we, just, we just sang that. Jimmy just prayed that in his prayer. He is high, he is lifted up in his position. But it's more than that, right? We also use majesty or majestic when we're talking about mountains, for instance, or the Grand Canyon. We say it's majestic, the purple mountain majesty, right? And so in that way of using that word, we're, we're saying that there's a grandeur, there's a splendor to a thing, a mountain, uh, the, the Grand Canyon. That's also partly what's being communicated with this use of the word majesty, that God is majestic, both in His position, He is high and lifted up above everything, seen and unseen, but also there's a beauty, there's a, a splendor, there's a glory that is just inherent in who He is. Whether He does anything or not, just His majesty is cause for meditation. But He has more than just a, a being. He actually does stuff, too. He's not just like a mountain that just sort of, sort of sits there and we look at it and we go, wow, it's so beautiful. And we hike on it and look around and explore. This mountain does stuff. This mountain does what David calls wondrous works. The majestic God does wondrous works. 
And these works in their own right display a glory, a splendor. And so there's a consistency between who he is and what he does. When my son Cooper and I were uh, in Oklahoma doing some fundraising a couple of years ago, we got to meet with Brent Tate, and Brent Tate had just bought a new Tesla, Model X. And so we were having breakfast in this place. He's like, you want to see the Tesla? I'm like, yeah, I want to see the Tesla. And so he, he brings it out. And uh, it has the, the doors that come open on the sides, and it has like this entry music. As, it, as the doors go up, it goes, ta-da! It's amazing, right? And so then we go, you know, we go into it, and the upholstery is gorgeous. The technology is amazing. I mean, it's just majestic, right? It's just um, that's, it's awesome. And so you want to take a ride? I'm like, yeah, I want to take a ride. So Cooper and I get in. Doors go down. Brent, you know, doesn't really start it up. It doesn't have to be started. And in the middle of downtown Tulsa, we go zero to 60 in four seconds. And I'm not recommending that. That's not, it's not recommended. But we were in, and, and it was totally silent because there's no, it's not an engine, right? It, it's a battery. And then we were in even greater awe because not only does this car have this amazing kind of majesty, but this car can do stuff. And so this is something akin, not, not very close, but it's something akin to what David is saying. He is majestic. And this majestic God does wondrous works. Now, what are these wondrous works that are so amazing? It's way more amazing than a Tesla, I can tell you that. David uses the same kind of verbiage in Psalm 8, verse 1, also Psalm of David, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. He's saying, God, you're so majestic, and it's revealed in your creation, in what you've done. You've created a world, you've created a universe, and the glory of that, the splendor of that, it, it ascribes glory and worth and majesty to you, God. Have you created any universes lately? I mean, billionaires can create companies, they can build cars, they can even make rocket ships that fly to the edge of space for 17 minutes. But God can create a universe. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This God has created a universe that contains a galaxy, that contains a solar system, that contains a planet, that contains an atmosphere that can be used to shoot rocket ships up into the sky. This is the one true God, the God of majesty. So David meditates on this. He meditates on the majesty of God. He meditates on the wonder of His works. And then he takes that meditation and he makes it into praise. Makes sense, right? Like you meditate on the majesty of God and the wondrous works of God. What are you going to do? You're going you're to praise. You're going to make much of God's majesty and of God's works. This is what he's doing in verses 1 through 3. David says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. And praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. 
He's, he's praising, he's making much of this majestic God and his wondrous works. He says, I will extol you or I will exalt you. He's declaring God's highness over everything seen and unseen. There is no one, there is no thing that is above him. He is the one who is most highly exalted. And at first glance, that might feel like God's a little distant, he's aloof, he's way up there, like, yeah, he, you know, he, he's worthy of worship, but he's way, way out there in the universe. But, but David lets us know this one he's extolling is, he says, my God, he's my king. And even says that he will bless God's name forever and ever. God isn't just some high king way out there. He's someone that, that David's desiring to bless. And they say, how do you bless God? Like, that's weird. Like, we're used to God blessing us since he is the originator of everything, right? That makes sense. He would be the blesser, and we're the blessee. But David's saying, I'm going to bless God. What does he mean? Well, he definitely doesn't mean that God needs something from us. He doesn't. He's the only being in the universe who's absolutely self-sufficient. And so it can't be something He needs from us. But what, what can we offer that is a blessing? And what you can offer is praising God for who He is and thanking God for what He's done. Praising God for who He is and thanking God for what He's done. The, the Psalms are full of this kind of blessing God. And it's from the heart. David's, again, he's not saying this is some kind of obligatory thing where I look up way up in the sky and there's the aloof high God and I say, well, I need to, I need to bow the knee, I need to give you some worship, and so I will. No, he's like, no, I, I want to bless you. You're my God. You're my king. And from my heart, I want to offer praise. I want to make much of your majesty and of your wondrous works. It is right, yes, but it's also personal. It's relational. It's a little bit like a small child making a craft for their parent. The parent does not need a vase that is purple and yellow and red and leaks water. They don't need it, okay? The child is not helping the parent by giving them a leaky vase that's purple, yellow, and red, but yet they receive it. And they receive it with joy because the child is wanting to bless the parent, acknowledge the parent, love the parent, honor the parent. Our praise, our thanksgiving, much like a small child. And God receives that with great delight. Notice that David is saying, I'm going to make much of God every day, forever. Did you catch that? Verse 2, every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. So it's both a daily thing, and it's a forever thing. And so this making much of God is, is just part of who David is as a worshiper of the one true God. Now, I think many of us are a little cynical about that kind of language. We say, oh, that's just how religious people talk. I mean, isn't all that praising going to get old? I mean, come on, David. Every day, forever. But look what he says in verse 3 that we just read. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised, 
and His greatness. Right? I'm like, wow, David, you're, you're over the top here. But then look what he says. His greatness is unsearchable. It's unsearchable. You can praise God every day forever because the majesty of God and the wondrous works of God are an infinite reservoir for us to go down into on a daily basis for eternity and then respond from meditating on that with praise, making much of our meditation. There's no end to meditating on and making much of God. My wife Melanie and I, we just were in Agunquit, Maine last weekend, and we love Agunquit, Maine. It, it is such a beautiful place. We've, we've gone there for 20 years straight, year in, year out, for a few days in the summer, and our kids love it, and, and we love it, and, and we love it uh, in part because of the things that we know are already there, things we've already experienced. We know where to get ice cream in Perkins Cove. If you need a, if you need a tip, we'll, we'll tell you where to go. Uh, we always walk the marginal way from Perkins Cove to uh, Agunquit and on the rocky coast there. It's absolutely gorgeous. We do it every year. We go to the beach in Agunquit and we enjoy uh, the, the, the warm sun and the really, really cold water. We know it's going to be cold every year for 20 years. It's just been really, really cold. And we love to watch the sun come up early, early in the morning over the cove as we wake up. But there's also new things to love every time we go. There's always new restaurants. There's always new shops. There's also always parts of the landscape that we've never seen before and that we notice uh, as we walk, as, as we explore. And this year, I got to hit the button for the drawbridge. I'd never done this in 20 years. So there's a drawbridge in Perkins Cove. And um, whenever there's a sailboat that's, that's too high to get under the bridge, they need one of the tourists to come over and hit the button and hold it. It's, it's not an easy job, okay? <laughs> hold the button while the bridge goes up and then the boat goes through. And, then, and so for 20 years, I've been watching the tourists do this, and I have never been able to do it. And this was my time. Right? I got to raise the drawbridge. It was something new to experience in a conquest. Now, there's something, something similar in the life of one who's walked with God for a while. There are things about God that you know, and you've known them for a long time. And you go back to those things again and again and again and again. And you go deeper down into those things over and over and over. But there are also new things that you didn't even know were there. There, there. there are things that you didn't see in the scriptures about God and who, I mean, this passage right here. There were things this week, I was like, God, I never thought of it that way. I didn't know you were like that, according to what the scripture is telling me. I'm telling you, there is an infinite reservoir of who He is and what He has done, what He is doing to meditate on, to make much of every day, forever, into eternity. And this is what David is, is telling us, this, this, this meditating on, this making much of the majesty of God and His wondrous works. 
Now, that'd be a, that'd be a good sermon right there. It'd be the shortest sermon I've ever preached, but, but it would be a sermon right there. We could, we could, we could, we could go to communion right now. It would, that would be a fine sermon. But I want you to see where David goes next in this passage. As he teaches us to meditate on and make much of God and what he's done, Look what, he, look what he says to do next. Verse 4. One generation will commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Okay, there's that verse 5 that I just talked about. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. Now, you see what he's doing there? talking about meditating on, making much of God, and then talking about commending who God is and what He's done to the next generation. It, that, that word commend that's translated uh, in the ESV, literally it, in the Hebrew, the word is praise. And the New American Standard, I'd say, gets that, that translation a little bit better. It gets it right. Psalm 145.4, he says, One generation will praise your works to another, and will declare your, majesty, your, your mighty uh, acts. And so look what he's doing there. He's connecting this meditating on and making much of God, not just for the own soul of the worshiper, but as the worshiper is, is praising the, the, the God and the works of God to that next generation. And it's not just some information that they're transferring. They are modeling this meditating on and making much of God for the next generation generation. This is how you, you pass on the faith to the next generation. Brett and Jenna Marquard's son, Edison, when he was about three to four years old, uh, and he probably still does love the Packers, but man, when he was three or four years old, he loved the Green Bay Packers. I mean, this kid wanted to wear a Green Bay jersey to school uh, every day. This is, this is all he wanted uh, to wear, and, and he would sit with his dad and watch the Packers, right? And, and, and for, for hours on a Sunday morning. Now, why on earth would a child want... If, honestly, why would anyone want to be a Green Bay Packers fan? I, <laughs> God have mercy. I, I don't know. Um, but there's one reason, right? That Edison, this four-year-old, is, is wanting to sit in front of a TV and wear his green jersey and watch the Green Bay Packers. It's because his dad loved the Green Bay Packers. That Brett had grown up in the Midwest, loving the Green Bay Packers. And because of this love that Brett had for the Green Bay Packers, it caused Edison to want to love the Green Bay Packers, even though he was you know, four years old. And you can see how commending something that's praiseworthy is much easier than commending something that's merely information or it's sort of boring or not very important. When it's praiseworthy, other people want to receive that truth. They want to receive that God that's being praised and commended. And that's how the next generation it receives the faith of the gospel. You can imagine if Brett would have sat down with the three boys and said, okay, he's got three boys now. You know, I've never said to you anything about the Green Bay Packers. We've never watched the game before. I've never wore a, a, a jersey. Um, but I just want to let you know, this is very important to me. And we're going to spend two hours every Sunday. We're going to sit on this couch. We're going to watch the Green Bay Packers. 
And then I'm never going to say anything about it after that, and I'm not going to say anything during the week. And then the next week, we're going to sit down for two hours, and we're going to watch the Green Bay Would that have worked? Commending the Green Bay Packers? No. <laughs> what worked was Dad screaming at the TV. Dad putting up, you know, Aaron Rodgers' poster in the living room. This is, this is what commended the Green Bay Packers to Edison. And so much in the same way, we meditate on and we make much of God and His wondrous works. And as we do this, as we show God and His works to be praiseworthy, the next generation receives that as praiseworthy. And they pass it on to their next generation as praiseworthy. This is the fuel to get this kind of legacy in, in, in God's people, in God's church, out of the stratosphere and into space, is the making much of God and His wondrous works and praising those wondrous works to the next generation. Now, David, when, when he gets to verse 7 here, he shifts in the way he's talking about God. He's talked about His majesty in the first three verses, and he talks about the next generation a bit, and then he talks about God in a different kind of way. Psalm 145, 7 says, They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. Now, we remember the first part, first three verses, was more in the category of God's majesty. Right? He said, I will extol your name, God. I will bless your name. You're my God. You're my king. You are great. You are unsearchable. Those kinds of, of descriptors are more about the transcendence of God, the otherness of God. But 7 through 9 is more about the eminence or the nearness of God, God's goodness. That God always does what is good. God's righteousness. That God always does what is right. God's graciousness, that he, he gives good things to those who don't deserve it. The, God's mercy, God's mercy is actually mentioned here by name twice and then described a third time. That he's compassionately withholding punishment that we do deserve. That's a biblical understanding of mercy. He says he's slow to anger. That means there's a good reason for him to be angry, but he's holding back on his anger. He's giving mercy to his children. And why is he doing that? Because of his love. And it's not just any kind of love. It's in the Hebrew, hesed love. It's his covenant love, his one-way, unconditional, unswerving love for his people. And, and this is what David knew was driving God's relationship with David. Now, he knew that really well. Uh, David was a great person of faith, but also a deeply flawed human. In fact, he was so flawed, he committed adultery, he lied to try to cover it up, and then he just went ahead and committed murder to try to cover it up. And then he was found out. And Psalm 51 is one of his psalms that he wrote in the response to him being found out for those sins. He says this in verses 1 and 2 of that psalm, "'Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love.'" 
According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. So here's David talking to the God who is my God and my King and is worthy of exaltation, and he's saying, have mercy on me. And how is it that that God who is worthy and worthy to be exalted and who is majestic can have mercy? It's because of his love, his steadfast love, his covenant, one-way, unconditional love for David and the people of God. And so David really rounds out this meditation on the person and the work of God. That God is both a God of majesty, He's also a God of mercy. And He is meditating on that, He's making much of that, and He understands that to be the fuel that is going to then commend God and His ways to the next generation. He will praise God and His ways to the next generation. And this is the only way that the people of God will be able to do this generation after generation after generation. It is the only way that Mercy House will be able to do this generation after generation after generation. Is meditating on the majesty, the mercy of God and making much of that majesty and mercy, both among ourselves but also to the next generation of disciples. Now, how do you respond to that? Different, different ways, I think. Um, one, some of you are not yet Christians. And I want to encourage you, entrust yourself to the majestic and the merciful God. He's displayed this most clearly at the cross. Jesus, the divine Son of God, the one through whom all things were made, the, the, the one when, when we're saying in Psalm 8, Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We can hold that together with John chapter 1. Through him, Jesus, all things were made. Without him, there is nothing that has been made. That majestic Jesus became a human being. Just that is worthy of meditation and praise. But he didn't just stop there. He became a human being so that he could die in the place of sinners like you and me. Sinners who were not meditating on the majesty and mercy of God. Sinners who were not making much of the majesty and mercy of God. And while we were in that kind of state, Jesus became a human being and died in our place to forgive us of our sins and to draw us back into the kind of relationship where we want to bless God. So if that's you this morning, I encourage you, entrust yourself to Him by faith. Pray to Him today. Tell Him, confess to Him that you've not acknowledged Him as the majestic one, as the merciful one, and to ask for His forgiveness and to enter into a relationship, a blessing through this gospel, this good news that's been purchased at the cross. Now, for those of us that, that we know that's already true of us, we've, we've come to that place where we've entrusted ourselves to the majestic and the merciful God. I think for us, a couple of things. One is, we want to join David in his resolve in verse 5. When he says, on, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Let's, let, we should join him in that resolution. We will meditate. Now, how do you meditate? I, I said a little bit about this earlier, but the, it's not like Eastern meditation where you're just kind of emptying yourself and melting into the universe. It's filling your mind, your heart with the Word of God. You're doing it right now. 
You're, you're filling your mind, you're filling your heart through this sermon, through what we're about to do with taking the bread and taking the cup. But when you wake up tomorrow, you're going to need to do it again. You're going to need to, to, to read Scripture again, to, to, to think about it, to meditate on it, and to get enough in there where the Holy Spirit has something to work with to have a conversation with you. Some of you are wondering, why don't I feel close to God? Why don't I have a conversation with God? Why don't I have this kind of blessing kind of back and forth like, like David? For, for most of you, it, it's because you, don't, you haven't put enough in here for the Holy Spirit to work with. Paul calls the, the word the, the sword of the Spirit. And so if, the, if the, there's not enough word in here, in your mind, and I don't mean, okay, you, know, you memorized a bunch of verses when you were 10. It needs to be a fresh inpouring of Scripture. And so reading thoughtfully, prayerfully. And, and sometimes, you know, you're in that devotion time, that quiet time, and you just think, I didn't get much out of that. I, you know, well, what was that even for? And then you come back to it again, and you come back to it again. And then day four, day five, then something clicks. And you're like, I didn't see that before. The Holy Spirit has brought this to mind in this moment for me, knowing I needed it. And then you start to realize, I'm, I'm meditating. I'm meditating on Scripture. But, but you got to put it in there in order to meditate, right? And sometimes we use this Scripture hand that um, the navigators uh, use in discipleship and talks about hearing the Word, reading the Word, studying the Word, memorizing the Word, so you can meditate on the Word, right? Hear it. That's what you're doing right now. Hearing it, reading it, just reading over it, studying it, like taking some time to really dig in, maybe look at a, a study Bible, a commentary, you're, 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 you're studying it, you're making outlines, flow charts, and then you're memorizing some of it. It doesn't have to be a lot, it can be a few phrases, it can be a few little things, something in here for the Spirit to work with. And then you find yourself meditating on Scripture. So let's resolve with David to, to meditate on the majesty and the mercy of God in His wondrous works. But not just for our own soul, so that we can commend this great God to the next generation. This is also why we, we, we want to do this. If, if we're treating God as just some information or treating God like a program at church, it's not going to be commended to the next generation. They don't care. So, so what are the things that you are meditating on? Because you're meditating on something. I think this is what people don't realize. You are meditating, and it's on something. And it may be the, the most recent Netflix show, or it may be something that you've, you've read. And who knows? But you're meditating on something, and you're making much of something with your words. And it might be sports. It, it might be a hobby. It might be the, the, the kitchen redo. It could be a lot of things. And there's nothing wrong with those things until you are extolling those things. You are exalting those things high and lifted up above God. And that's what, you, that's what you will commend to those around you. That which you extol, that which you exalt, that which you make much of. And what you make much of is, is what you meditate on. And so uh, allowing the Spirit to use the Word this morning, to, to, to make some corrections. And for my own life, just reading, reading this and realizing that, 
This passing on to the next generation has so much to do with my own spiritual life. And I knew that, but I even know it more now when I look at this text. In order to commend the wondrous works of God to the next generation, to commend those, I must praise those to the next generation. It's not just information. It's part of some of the changes that you'll hear about uh, tonight in the, 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 the parents' meeting, about kids' ministry here. And some of those changes are having older kids in the service more. And you say, why do we want to do that? Right? Well, why we want to do that is because we want them to see mommy and daddy worshiping Jesus. We want to see, let, let them see how much mommy and daddy love Jesus, how well mommy and daddy listen to the sermon, how well mommy and daddy take notes, how well mommy and daddy talk about the sermon and what they, uh, what, what they experience in the worship service on the way home in the car. We want the kids to experience those kinds of things. And if we do some more of that, we're going to be better at commending God and His works to the next generation because they'll see that these things are praiseworthy in the mouths of mom and dad. But that's true of all of us, right? Whether we're mommies and daddies or not, we're called to make disciples who make disciples. And we're going to be effective at that. We're going to have fuel for that. Not just this year, next year, next decade, but generation after generation after generation as we make much of the majestic and merciful God that we're meditating on. This is what we're doing when we come to this table. Jesus is never more majestic and merciful than when He is standing at this table. The one who brought all things into existence takes a little piece of common bread and breaks it and gives it to His disciples and says, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's a very majestic and it's a very merciful moment. In the same way, he took the cup. After he blessed it, he gave it to them, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sin. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. When he says, in remembrance, it's another way to say meditate on. I want you to meditate on. And what does he want us to meditate on? He wants us to meditate on the blazing center of his majesty and his mercy, and that is what he did for us at the cross of Christ. So behold in the preaching, behold in the taking of the bread and the cup, the majesty and the mercy of God. And as you meditate on that, let's make much of this majestic and merciful God. Let's pray. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. The earth that you've created speaks to that majesty. The sinners that you've saved, it it speaks to that majesty and that mercy. And Lord, we want to respond by making much of you and your wondrous deeds. And we confess to you, God, We oftentimes are not meditating on that. We're oftentimes not making much of that. We are extolling other things, and we are making much of other things. We know it's partly why you died on the cross for our sins, to forgive us of that kind of insane thinking. And so we pray forgiveness for that. 
for, for not extolling your name, exalting your name, for not meditating on the mercy and the majesty of your character, the wonder of your works. God, help us. Help us to do that. Thank you that this is not some overbearing kind of thing, but is a blessing. <laughs> We're blessed as we bless you in making much of your majesty and your mercy. Lord, help us to, to rest in the grace of the gospel as we take this bread and take this cup, that we would behold you and your wondrous works, your most wondrous work that you performed on the cross for us. And so help us, God. Help us to receive that this morning, to meditate, to remember, and to be transformed and changed by that and to commend that to the next generation. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.